Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Hello, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. Welcome to another fantastic interview. I'm really excited. I've got a tremendous guest today, Brian Robinson. Let me tell you, because he's a sales expert. And I know, oh, sales, sales. Listen, if you're not selling, you don't have a business. (laughs) That's why I love talking to sales guys. So anyway, let me introduce Brian. We'll bring him right on. Brian Robinson is a sales and marketing expert, best-selling author and coach. He has worked for some of the best-known companies in the world, including Coca-Cola and Johnson & Johnson. Wow, can't get much bigger than those. (laughs) Upon leaving his corporate career, he helped launch a successful startup where he was the first person in the history of the industry to sell more than $1 million in business in 12 months entirely by phone. I think I want Brian's resume. Anyway, he has over two decades in the trenches, battle-tested, face-to-face, and phone presentation experience that can benefit virtually anyone from Fortune 500 companies to entrepreneurial ventures. Brian is the author of the Amazon number one best-selling book, The Selling Formula, Five Steps for Instant Sales Improvement. I'm going to talk a lot about the book. Brian and his wife, Cindy, live in Oklahoma City and have eight children. That's not a misprint. Eight children, which actually could be the topic for a whole other conversation, but not on this podcast. How you doing, Brian? Doing great, Jim. Thank you. Thanks for coming. I don't know how you have time to do interviews with, with eight kids. Wow. It's funny. When you say you have eight kids, everybody thinks they're six years old and under. So they That's do grow true. up. I know. Oh, so oh, so are all your kids, uh, are you empty nesters now? Not yet. We, uh, we see light at the end of the tunnel, though. Good for We're you. We're close. Yeah. yeah my, my wife and I had four kids, and you know one of you know Jessica. Well, Jessica's a twin. Um, we have two older boys and we were going to, my wife and I said, well, let's have three kids. And on the third time it was twins. So uh-huh. um, yeah, that's how that happened. But anyway, um, I always love talking to salespeople because you know why salespeople make business run, you know? I mean, yes, you need marketing to attract prospects, but if you don't close business, everything is for naught, right? Sure. So let me ask you this. I know I learned a little bit in your um, introduction that you did have, you know, you had a corporate career and, and now you're an entrepreneur. Bef- did you have any, are you a first generation entrepreneur or did your dad, your granddad or, or grandmom, did anybody kind of lead that way or did you kind of find your way to be an entrepreneur all on your own? Uh, first generation. My father was in banking all his life, but prior to that, his dad actually owned a hotel and had some entrepreneurial ventures um, years ago. But uh, for all intents and purposes, I'm a first-generation entrepreneur. Wow, good for you. Now, when you were early in your career, were you always attracted to sales? Were you the sales guy, or did you just fall into the sales career? Kind of fell into it. In college, I was a photojournalism major, and then I looked over my shoulder and realized, I can't make anything doing this, even though I love it. So I picked up a course in selling, at college and I kind of enjoyed it and did the business degree thing and then um, got into Coca-Cola USA after college. And that was, was it, a pure sales job. 
Was it like a Brian Tracy course? Anybody we know, or was it like a college course? It was college level. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) You know, when you look back on it, there was virtually nothing of value in terms of how to sell in the course. I know. To be honest. (laughs) That is so funny. I think of some of the, and I I didn't graduate college by a couple of years. I think of some of the management, marketing, and other, I mean, they have no clue in college how to run a business. Um, I'm sure like you, Jim, I've learned way more from listening to podcasts, CDs, back in the day tapes when I was driving than anything else I ever learned in college or grad school. When did you decide to go out on your own and kind of leave the uh, corporate paycheck, direct deposit and all that good fun? It was a little over 18 years ago. Um, I was with Johnson & Johnson. A friend of mine approached me and said, I'm leaving a franchise. I'm going to start my own deal. Would you be open to helping me? And about four months of hemming and hawing and prayer and um, decided, you know, I think it's time to do this. I'm tired of building equity in a large corporation. I think it's time to do something else. And at the time, I thought I knew how to sell. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Moving into the entrepreneurial role is uh, it's like if you don't sell, you don't eat. And so that changes the whole dynamic of your life. It really does. I mean, a lot of, obviously people know who Coca-Cola is and they either want it or they don't. And I don't mean to make this disparaging, but in, when you're a sales, a salesperson in some companies, it's more like an order taker. But when you are an entrepreneur and every month at the first of the month, you realize you're starting over, that's when you really find out what sales is all about. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> So um, it's very interesting. I had a, a career in, in franchising also. I helped grow a 14-unit chain into 80 stores in 18 states. So I'm, I'm familiar with that. Is Do you want to say the franchise? You don't have to. Well, the franchise, my my um, the owner of the company that I helped start the business with left that franchise. It's no longer in existence. Okay. And so he started his own company because it floundered and fell apart. <clears throat> But you sold uh, you sold the heck out of them for a while. Sounds like, yeah. We um, what we did was start a similar concept and made it our own company, and so that's what we wound up doing. Very good. When did you officially kind of just go out on your own? You know, as a as a as a coach and sales and marketing expert. It was um, really interestingly. I've over the past eighteen years, I've created several jump off points, at least I thought they were, um, consulting, um, entrepreneurial consulting, uh, training, masterminds, but none of it became a place where I could fully dive in and and leave what I was already doing. But this has been an ongoing passion my entire entrepreneurial life. And um, so the jump off point really kind of started within a year or two after this current gig that I've been in now currently for 18 years. Um, and so that's the passion has been always to grow, become better and help other people do the same. That's awesome. Now, Brian, who do you like working with today? I mean, I mean, uh, I think I read you help everybody from fortune 500 entrepreneurial ventures there. Those could not be further apart in terms of when you're working with an entrepreneur and working with a corporation who has to run everything up five flagpoles and things like that. <laughs> so what's your preference? Yeah. Do you like working with small business owners or are you still like, okay. Yeah. I like the business owner who's the lead person and who's in charge of sales. Right. 
the buck stops there for sure. Um, right. When when did I'm just curious when you when you went out to be um, on your own, did you were you going to be a consultant? I mean, obviously you had franchise, you had a lot of broad based experience, or did you know you wanted to focus on sales? Um, it was primarily focusing on sales and marketing. And what I tried to do is help high performing individuals get a sense of their strategic gifts and zero in on the one thing that, you know, the, the saying big doors turn on small hinges. Right. So what, what is that one thing that could have the greatest leverage to grow your business? And so from a strategic perspective, that's what I tried to figure out and help them identify and then push them in that direction. And, and, and that is closing more sales, is it not? <clears throat> yeah, ultimately, that's what it boils down to. Yeah, you know, um, we were talking a few minutes before we started in the green room, my daughter, Jessica Rhodes, who um, is how we got introduced, her company's Interview Connections. She's one of the best salespeople I've ever met, and she's like 30 years old. <laughs> she's really mm -hmm. great. Um, so when did you write the selling formula? I'm, I'm, I want to talk about your book for a little while. Sure. It was released in January of this year. Okay. And it uh, took a few years to finally get it done. And um, then the audible version came out a few months after that. Very cool. Yeah, I've learned. Uh, so I've, I've um, published seven books, not counting the Kindles. Um, and the last three were, were audio because I kept getting requests for that. And it's like, man, after you write the book, it's such a, such a, huge body of work and I, do I want to sit in a studio or whatever but yeah people are yeah. just consuming books and you gotta what I tell people is you have to meet people where they are and they consume it you could have an avatar of who your customer is but even though they have so many similarities which therefore makes them the avatar they all consume information in slightly different ways and even if reading books is their preference they read kindle they read paperback they like audio or you know or a combination yeah. of the above so and to be fair, most salespeople are ADD and are driving somewhere. <laughs> so that's true. I knew that if I didn't have an audio version of this, um, it <laughs> not many people would probably get a chance to experience it. Yeah, the old Rolling University, which um, before my wife and I moved on the boat, we had an acre and a half of grass, and I'd, I'd take about two hours cutting the lawn. Back then, I had that. that you know, the little MP3 player <laughs> looked like yeah. a stick of gum and I'd be listening to everything from Zig Ziglar to Dan Kennedy to all these different things. And it actually made two hours of grass cutting somewhat. Okay. <laughs> but, um, mm -hmm. right. I, I, uh, so many people prefer to be, uh, spoken to instead of sitting there reading. But, um, mm -hmm. so tell me about the book, um, the selling formula did, is this, um, from your, from your years in the corporate world, everything you know about sales? Did you, is there some, did you pioneer a certain strategy? You know, it's what I discovered is I, I took a step back and looked at how I was selling in both the corporate world and then as an entrepreneur. And I recognized there were five key things I did over and over and over. And I realized that if I could codify that and put it in a book that somebody could just grab out of their glove compartment, of their car, out of their briefcase, backpack, and just flip to a chapter on, for example, interview questions or closing. And there were some very specific things that you could grab and use on the call you're going to walk into in just a minute. That would bring immense value. It would have for me back in the day. And so I took these five steps and I'll just share them with you. Is that okay, Jim? Sure, I'd love it. Yeah, the first, 
first step of the five steps is connect and set agenda. And there's some very specific things I recommend just because of the battle wounds over the years. Um, I've got some very specific things I suggest in the book for how you do that. Secondly, it's the interview. And what I found is people tend to kind of gloss over how critical the questions are that you ask. And so what I recommend, I've got some specific ways that you can build out questions, um, is that you take as much time as possible to craft the very best questions that, make, that may make you go, instead of one or two layers deep, let's go three or four layers deep, and let's build that trust through the interview questions. Thirdly is present your solution. And after taking great notes with your prospect, you feed back their own words as you present your solution. They can't really argue against their own words, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a way to corner somebody. I think it's just a way to have honest dialogue. And then fourth is pricing and guarantees and presenting those together. And I talk about three price points and why that's important and examples of guarantees and why that's equally as important, if not more so. And then finally, closing. And the, the point I make in closing is this isn't some magical or mystical point in the sales process. It's really just a natural occurrence that should happen as a result of doing the previous four steps appropriately. I'm curious, and I'm sure everybody struggles with all five to different degrees, but <clears throat> Here, get ready for the old. What's the one thing? <laughs> what's the yeah. one area? What's the one area that you feel? And let's just stay with um, entrepreneurs, small business owners, because that's who's listened to the show for six years. What's the one area where you think most fail or fall down or fall short of? It's the questions. It's definitely the questions. Wow. I I believe that questions are. One of my favorite sayings is questions are the key to life. And <clears throat> though you may have a great, great rapport with your potential client, if you don't ask appropriate questions, you will not get the result that you want. And you could literally be one question away from doubling your sales. That's how critical this is in my mind. And I've proven that over the years by changing one or two questions. Let me give you an example of this, Jim. When I was, and this applies to entrepreneurs, even though this was in my corporate world, when I was with Johnson & Johnson, we had a direct competitor by the name of U.S. Surgical, and they were ahead of us in many different facets, and we were trying to play catch-up against this corporation, and we had a product for hernia repair. I was in Johnson & Johnson. I sold products for surgeons in the OR, <clears throat> pardon me, and there was a frustration I had because I I knew our product was superior clinically to our competitors. There was no question. But it was so entrenched that I couldn't figure out how to unseat these guys. So I decided I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the right questions in front of my surgeons to elicit their interest in trying it. So I spent hours crafting these questions, refining them. And wouldn't you know, as I started using them, within 30 days, my evaluations doubled and my sales doubled, and the word got out that there was this list of questions I was using, and I gave the list out to other people in the organization, and they had the exact same results. So the questions are critical. Wow. 
I real I believe you. By the way, I'm not, I'm not, I believe that the questions are are the most important thing, um, <clears throat> because the right question will always lead you to the to the best answer. And I think mm. um, I think the other reason that <clears throat> excuse me, I think the other reason that's important is I think most salespeople talk far too much, <laughs> you know, instead mm -hmm. of asking a question and then letting letting their prospect their customer talk more. I agree, definitely. So, um, so, so the first thing they, they think at is, uh, interviewing and the questions do you, or so do you detail the questions in the book? The, I, I suggest a process that's worked is get a spreadsheet or a piece of paper and write out three columns. The first column is features of your product or service. The second column is benefits and the third is questions and what I found is as you write down your features and you be as, as exhaustive as you can, for every feature, there are usual, usually multiple benefits that you'll write in the second column. And then for each benefit, there are typically multiple questions. So you can see this thing expanding out as you build it, and you'll have a whole list of questions. The bottom line is you look at, look at it from an 80-20 or 90-10 perspective and choose the top 20% or top 10% of the questions that will most quickly elicit the greatest benefits that your prospect will receive when you ask those questions. And that's kind of starting from a general approach to becoming very specific. And then you tell your prospect you're going, with their permission, you're going to ask them some very specific questions. You have them on a piece of paper and ask them for permission to take notes and you literally sit there and you ask the questions and you take notes and it does something pretty powerfully psychologically when you do that in front of a prospect because they recognize you're uber engaged and you care about what they're saying. Brian, I think I read somewhere um, in the book about a pre-call mindfulness. What did you mean by that? What I've found is a lot of salespeople, including myself, will walk into a conversation or pick up the phone and make a call without having given a whole lot of thought to the other person that they're going to sit down with or talk to on the phone. And it's really never about you as a salesperson, ever. It's all about the prospect. And so what I recommend is you take some time and you, you become, you just start thinking about that prospect. You start becoming thankful for them. You actually start becoming fascinated about them and like them before you ever meet them. And you actually will kind of telegraph that to your prospect as soon as you start opening your mouth. There's a sense that they like you or they're just there to have a kind of a blase conversation. And you can pick up on that as a prospect. That's why I say pre-call mindfulness is very important to the outcome of your likability, your connection, and ultimately your sales. I think when I was going to school, which is a long, long time ago, I think I remember a statistic saying the average salesperson has to touch a prospect like eight times. My own personal, un totally unscientific belief today is it's more like 20 times or 30 times. Whatever the yeah. number, do you, do, do you agree with that? I mean, there's no, it's very rare to close a sale quickly anymore. I agree. Um, depending upon, obviously, there's so many factors as to whether or not you can close a sale in one call. That's 
fairly rare, I think, generally speaking anymore. But I think the goal for any entrepreneur would be, if I can get this done in one or two conversations, that would be ideal. Um, so as far as touches, my opinion is that relates to just being top of mind in terms of awareness and constantly having your name, your business name in front of them in some form or fashion. Wow. So many questions. I think I got room for one or two more because I want to make sure we tell our people where to get the book. Um, so in your intro, you said um, you sold more than a million dollars entirely by phone. Is that, do you think that's becoming more the norm where it's a lot of phone work versus because of, I think because of security, especially in larger corporations, maybe not so much with small businesses and thing, but is, is the phone becoming even more important than it used to be? I think in my world, um, the, the, main, the main markets that I serve are banks, credit unions, medical facilities, and having a conversation by phone is almost the norm now because they're used to doing webinars. Uh, they're used to having um, a group in a boardroom and they're showing, you're showing something on your laptop to them. And so I found that's becoming far more commonplace than a face-to-face -face call. And so, yes, I think that's growing for sure. And it, the technology we have makes it so easy. Oh, the technology is amazing. Um, real quick, when, um, in your chapter uh, seven, your pricing and guarantees. I mean, pricing is a whole long conversation, but touch on guarantees a little bit. I mean, I believe as an entrepreneur, gone are the days when you can just have, you know, use it within 30 days. And if you don't like it, you get your money back. I mean, I think you need to be a lot more creative than that. What do you think? Totally agree. Um, quick example of that. I have, I had a consulting client in Colorado that was in the, in the uh, banking software industry and they had a software that allowed them to get their clients ready for a uh, audit within about an hour. Whereas previously it would take days to pull all the co content together for that audit. They, were, they weren't the only one in the space, but I asked, what's the fastest you could have somebody have be ready for an audit once they've input the information? They said, oh, 45 minutes or less. I said, is any other competitor offering that kind of guarantee with a serious penalty if they don't perform? They said, nobody. So I went down that path and started asking what the main pain points were. And then to your point, Jim, being creative, and we pulled up four guarantees and there were major dollar assessments against the company offering the software if they couldn't meet that guarantee. And the salespeople came in and the very first thing they did is I had them give the four guarantees right up front before they ever presented the product and their sales almost tripled. Wow. And so that's, that's how critical a guarantee is and actually multiple guarantees and being creative like you said. And to your point also, 30-day money-back guarantee, I experienced, we'd get a few returns. I upped it to 90 days. The returns dropped in half. Then I offered a right to cancel anytime in the first year with a prorated refund, and we have virtually no returns. And if we do, it's because some client of ours got bought out by another company, and they inherited the service and don't need it. Right. Brian, this is fascinating. I'd love to have you back sometime uh, and keep the conversation going. But in the meantime, where can people get the selling formula and uh, also connect with you? Sure. Well, I'd like to give free to your listeners the first three chapters of the book. All you have to do is go to brianrobinsonbook.com and you can download the first three chapters. 
And then you can pick up the book on Amazon, The Selling Formula. And there's some also additional free content at thesellingformula.com. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. I love, love talking sales. Yeah, my pleasure, Jim. Thank you so much. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special interview with Brian Robinson, the author of The Selling Formula. Uh, if you're not yet connected with me in some other place other than this podcast, my home base is getjimpalmer.com, getjimpalmer.com. If you're interested in uh, working with me as, as, uh, as your dream business coach, that's dreambizcoaching.com, dreambizcoaching.com. Until next week, the same time, another great interview. I am Captain Jim Palmer, somewhere in the Atlantic. Actually, as we're doing this interview, we're in gale force winds, so I'm really happy it concluded. You take good care. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free Dream Business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.